From Olympic City and the home of Pikes Peak, this is the Automotive ADHD Show. All right, here we are rocking it on the Automotive ADHD Show. Heard on the radio in Southern Colorado, 91.7 KLZR, and around the world as a podcast. Matt West here, hanging out with you to talk about cars. And man, do we have, we have a packed, packed show. I say every show is packed. No, this show is packed. There's a lot of stuff going on. There's a reason it's called Automotive ADHD, by the way. But uh, there's a lot of different things going on. It has been a crazy week. Huge news with Ford. Massive news with Ford. And you might say, oh yeah, I heard about that. They're coming out with the new Mustang. Well, that's not the news. No, no, we're we, no, no. So there's something even deeper than that. Yes, Ford did announce the new generation of Mustang, and that is what everybody is talking about. But they also low key talked about something else, and and it, it has massive implications. It has implications that could completely change the way people buy cars. It could completely shut down car dealerships. Depends. It it might happen. So it's big news. So we're going to talk instead about the new Ford Mustang because, you know, that's just absolutely, you know, groundbreaking, earth shattering. Uh, no, it is fun. No, we, we'll hit on both topics here. We will hit on both topics. The new Mustang is very cool. Uh, I like it as an enthusiast. Uh, we're going to get into my thoughts on that. Uh, but we're also going to talk about Ford changing its dealership network and how dealers have to pay for it. That's interesting. Uh, aside from that, too, we're going to talk about how a New Jersey man was forced by the state to crush his car that was otherwise, as far as I could tell, legal. Yeah. So we're, we'll talk about that. And we're going to talk about how that ties into the RPM Act, which, as you know, I, I try my best to steer away from politics on this show because it's a car show. You're here for cars. You're not here for politics. But this is an intersection. The RPM Act is an intersection of cars and politics. And this is one of those things that if you like cars. I don't care if you don't like politics, but if you like cars, you need to know about the RPM Act. This is going to save race cars. That's what this is going to do. So we're going to talk about that. And we're going to check in with Pikes Peak Hill Climb driver, Jimmy Ford. I had the opportunity to visit him this weekend. It was a whole lot of fun, really exciting stuff. And he did some incredible hill climb racing. So we're going to talk all about that. But I, you know what? There's, like I said, there's a lot of crazy stuff going on um, this week in the uh, in the car world, you could say. And uh, one interesting thing I saw before we touch base here with Jimmy, we're going to get to him here in a second, is a uh, Nissan dealership in Australia, Brisbane, Australia. Uh, do I have any listeners in, uh, in Australia? I don't know. They've never, they've never chimed in. Now, you know what? If you're from Australia, Send uh, send your car sounds in. You could win some free stuff, by the way. But uh, this dealership is a Nissan dealership, and they posted a social media post uh, of a gentleman standing next to a Nissan R34 GTR V-Spec, and not just any regular one. It's quite the special R34 GTR, and uh, and they posted though on their social media, their Facebook and stuff. Uh, this this cheeky post. Uh, and he's standing next to the GTR, and next to the GTR is a Nissan Leaf with a little yellow bow on the hood. And he's standing next to the Nissan Leaf, and the post says, Luckily for him, we were able to do a straight swap into a brand new fully electric Nissan Leaf. And, the, and then the internet exploded. It, it actually exploded. I don't know how you're listening to me right now on the podcast, because the internet exploded when they saw this. It was 
I mean, the, the comments were cataclysmic, uh, the hate for this man. I mean, people were lining up with pitchforks and small arms and everything to, to liberate this man's Nissan. And, um, and so the Internet was, was, was practically ready to lynch this guy. And what happened, though? What actually happened here? And let me to put it into context first. The R34 GTR V-Spec 2 NUR edition. NUR for Nürburgring-ish, maybe? I don't know. Maybe the Nissan enthusiasts will come after me, too, which is fine. But um, this is a car that could sell at auction for $300,000. Uh, but there have been some that have gone up for sale for over half a million. And um, why you would spend this much money on a Nissan. I don't know. I mean, I love the R34. I think they're great cars, but half a million dollars is a lot of money to play Paul Walker. That's a lot of money to do that. And if you've got the money to spend, it's up to you. Now, I I do believe some of these hugely inflated prices on fun enthusiast cars that are supposed to be affordable, um, the people spending a lot of money on them are part of the problem. If no one was spending that much money, the people listing them for that much money would no longer list them for that much money because they wouldn't they wouldn't be able to sell them that way. But I digress. This is a car that could could sell for half a million dollars. Paul Walker's specific R34 V Spec 2 sold for five hundred and seventy-seven thousand dollars. So, all right, you trade that in for a Nissan Leaf, which by the way has a base price of like thirty-five, thirty-six thousand dollars. Yeah, the math isn't adding up here. The math isn't adding up. And, and this is where you do have to take you, you, one of the classic rules of the internet into account, which is that everything there might not be true. And so what happens? The posts look very convincing. The gentleman is standing there with his, his key and his Nissan Leaf, and, and nope, you, you know where this is going. It was all a hoax. Yes, it was all a hoax. Uh, the marketing team at that dealership decided to make it a joke. And it was a fun kind of inside joke. Yeah, he traded in the GTR for it. No, in reality, that GTR V-Spec 2 um, was actually another customer's vehicle that just hangs out on the showroom floor just to be admired. I mean, you know, when you own a car like that, uh, you, you do things like that. You just lend it to the dealership so they can, you know, bring customers in, which is fine, which is totally fine. In fact, that's cool. If I had a car cool enough for a dealership to ask me to put it on their showroom floor, I, I don't know if I... I don't know what I would do. I it might just I I might just shut down. I might just, you know, break at that point because that would mean I actually have something nice. But uh <laughs> but that being said, um that being said, this uh this post accrued accrued like 13,000 comments practically overnight. And um anyway, so yeah, this is one of those things. Nothing on is if it's on the internet, is it true? Probably not. If you're listening to this show on the internet, I don't know. I don't know what to tell you. I don't know what to tell you. I mean, the internet is a weird place, but I just felt like talking about that. If you uh, happened to see this post and you were you were there with the mob, the angry mob, pitchfork in hand, ready to liberate this GTR from the dealership, I'm sorry to disappoint you, but that'll have to wait. That'll have to wait at least a little bit longer. So there you go. Now, anyway, hey, I want to, before we wrap up the first segment of the show here, we've got a lot of stuff to talk about. We've got Ford's new Mustang to talk about, obviously. We've also got Ford's big changes to dealerships to talk about. But I want to talk about a different type of Ford. In fact, Pikes Peak hill climb driver Jimmy Ford 
jimmyfordracing.com. Now, I had the opportunity to go visit him this weekend. On Sunday, I drove out into the desert of Canyon City, Colorado, where the Colorado Hill Climb Association was uh, doing an event, uh, doing a racing event up uh, Temple Canyon Road. It is a great road. It's all dirt, but it's a whole lot of fun. Lots of dust in the air. It's hot. It's the desert. But you know what? You're just out there in this canyon. There's dust and it's hot. And then you hear race cars. You hear big blocks. You hear cammed engines. You hear boosted engines. You hear everything. And you're like, whoa, this is this is cool. This is cool. I think I stumbled into the right place. I mean, imagine being lost in the wilderness and being greeted by that as your return to civilization. It would be brilliant. It would, you, would, you, would, you would never want to leave. And um, anyway, I had a moment between all of the racing. Jimmy was kind enough to sit down and talk to me for a couple minutes about some of the stuff he was doing. Uh, his hill climb car, by the way. He was racing not Bronxzilla at this event. He was racing uh, his fantastic, absolutely killer 1977 Pontiac Firebird, a hill climb car. Uh, it's got a 355 cubic inch small block Chevy. Revving that thing to the moon, it, sound, it sounded fantastic. And I will feature one of those uh, clips from his car here as a car sound later during the show. That is going to be cool. Now you'll have to excuse some of the uh, wind and kind of background noise in this audio. There were generators running. There was a breeze. It was really difficult to get audio out here in the desert. But... I'm gonna roll this clip right here. How was uh, how how was the run? I mean, today, I mean, it's dusty, it's hot, but I mean, everything looked awesome. Yeah. So the first run was really great. They had a lot of moisture in the road, and then the second run, it kind of got cleared off a little bit, and the moisture kind of came out of the road, so it was a little bit uh, looser. Um, we're struggling with clutch issues right now, so we're trying to make some adjustments on the clutch and hopefully uh, make it uh, happen for uh, second runs. Um, we're leading in one class, and we're a little bit behind in the other class. How did it feel just driving it? Oh, it, this thing is a blast, especially this road. It's a very technical road. It's um, more technical than some of the other roads. I mean, it, there's open space, there's narrow areas, there's tight corners. Um, you name it, it's here. So it, it's, it's a fun course. Any other plans going forward with this thing? Yeah, um, I think we would like to uh, continue uh, in our R&D program with uh, Auto Gear Engineering. They do a lot of uh, help with our transmission program so we we definitely were struggling before we jumped on board with auto gear so yeah that's uh one thing that we're want to keep moving forward with absolutely rocky mountain machine colorado quarries colorado quarries is really great to us they uh actually uh keep some roads open for us that we run on and then uh obviously automotive adhd and uh um, joel newcomer is actually here with us one of my sponsors newcomer plumbing and heating so that's cool he's an old uh dirt racer here that's cool so uh yeah, I'd like to thank all my sponsors. Dude, right on. All right. And uh, again, I can't thank Jimmy Ford enough also for uh, for being a absolute, absolute supporter of motorsports, having fun, getting it done. And I am proud to also support him as well with the uh, with the podcast here. Again, you got to check out what he does. It's super cool. JimmyFordRacing.com. And if you want to catch up on some of the other stuff, uh, I know I actually have a lot of new listeners as of recent who may not have heard some of the Pikes Peak Hill Climb coverage I did a couple months ago. I uh, had Jimmy Ford live on the show from the streets of the Pikes Peak Hill Climb Fan Fest. If you haven't checked that out, scroll through your podcast feed and give that a listen. It's going to be a whole lot of fun. You really, really got to check that out. So I am excited to do that. Always excited to see Jimmy Ford. He is such a grassroots guy down to earth, racing with the family. The whole family participates in the racing too. So that is the best part there. Now, hey, coming up, I'm going to talk about Ford and what's going on and how they are changing things up big. 
At the Speed Council, getting things done fast is our priority. We do everything fast, from driving, working, sleeping, and eating. Someone help! He's choking! This is Tim. Hello. And by the time this ad is over, he'll have bicycled across the Earth 69 times. Nice. Even if our name sounds unfamiliar, you know our work. F1? Pfft, child's play. The world's first supersonic jet? Yep, that was us. Apollo 11? Also us. The fastest animal in the sea? Hell, we even wrote the Wikipedia article. Fast. And we're so dedicated to speed that we've genetically engineered the world's first hyperspeed speed machine. With this scientific breakthrough, you can download your favorite automotive podcast a whole day early. How's that for fast? Patreon.com slash Throttle Warrior. Donate now. Download the show early and receive special perks. This message approved by the Speed Council and the Church of Fast Things. All right. That car sound is sent in courtesy of Scott. That is his Mitsubishi Eclipse. Definitely boosted. Definitely making a lot of power. Made 660 horsepower to the wheel on the dyno. How cool is that? I mean, you're talking, you know, 4G63 in there. I mean, guys boost those to the moon, and it's insane. And I want to thank Scott for sending in those car sounds. He, of course, has entered for a chance to win the Automotive ADHD sticker, the keychain, and a $25 auto parts store gift card. There's a lot of stuff going on. Also, by the way, I have packages going out to folks who are in need of stickers. The Automotive ADHD care packages are on their way. So if you have stickers coming your way, you know who you are. It's sending out. They're they're in the mail. So just saying, that's finally, I had a lot of issues with the sticker shop I was dealing with. Had to go to a different supplier for the stickers. And uh, But it's, <laughs> long story short, long story short, I should probably keep my mouth shut until I actually have them in hand. But you know what? Those stickers are going to hopefully be out there. They're going to be awesome. I have already seen a couple of guys, local guys, who are wanting to support the show, and they might have some stickers on their cars here now, too. So very, very cool stuff. Thank you for everyone who supports the show. Of course, thank you to the Patreon subscribers, uh, Renai, Robert, everyone on the Patreon makes that a possibility. I can't afford to do the stickers and other stuff without without the Patreon. So uh, you guys rock, and uh, that's very cool. Now, speaking of the Patreon subscribers, there was no early access this week, but that's okay because there is a Patreon exclusive, a bonus episode that I did for my radio show uh, in Westcliff, Colorado. And, uh, I, and so you as a Patreon subscriber get access to that bonus bonus episode which is a lot of fun it's just you know what if you if you wanted more automotive adhd for your week that's how you can get it so check it out patreon.com slash throttle warrior now i want to talk about ford all right we i promised you talk about the new mustang and um before we get to how ford is uprooting their entire dealership network we're going to talk about the new mustang which the new mustang is really cool, I will say. As a car enthusiast, as an enthusiast of things that make noises, and not those weird, strange, whiny noises that the Dodge Challenger Daytona concept EV car thing. Ugh, I don't even want to think about that thing. Um, if you're curious about that, I talked about it a couple weeks ago uh, here on the show. But um, no, the new Mustang uh, has been announced. The new 7th generation Mustang and it is cool. I will say it is very cool. They changed up the look of it a little bit, though I don't necessarily buy that this is a ground-up 
redesign of uh, of the Mustang as it sits. The current generation of Mustang is called the S550 generation, and that's been around for six, seven years now. It's been around for a little bit. It absolutely has, and it's a great Mustang. You have the five-liter Coyote V8 in it, but what's interesting about the new one, the new one, um, is they're, t- they're saying it's a whole new generation of Mustang, but you look at the A-pillar placement, the B-pillar, the way the roof slopes, and the way the body panels, it's kind of the same car. I would equate this as, yes, it is a new generation of Mustang. They say 85% of the car is different, but it is built on the old platform. Now, does that mean anything bad? No, it doesn't. They, they developed a great platform with the S550 Mustang. Perhaps the first Mustang that could actually handle from the factory, too. Um, and uh, insert Mustang crashing into crowd joke here, I guess. But <laughs> that being said... Um, it's uh, if you're a manufacturer and you're wanting to, you know, make a new car and you already have this really good platform, you've done a lot of R&D into it. There's not much more you can do to change it at the moment. Why change it? You know, this is the same difference for Mustang fans who are familiar with a lot of the generations of Mustang. This is kind of the same difference between the SN95 Mustang and the New Edge Mustang. Uh, I owned a 2003 Mustang for several years, uh, which was the New Edge. And it was basically an SN95, but the body panels were different. They were totally different. Um, but underneath the skin, it's the, it's the same car, kind of the same car. I mean, the frame of the car is the same. All the stuff was reused. So that's no, you know, Ford's no stranger to that. Now, what's cool about this Mustang? All right. They're keeping the five liter V8. There's also the 2.3 liter EcoBoost. Yeah, it is what it is. Um, it's going to have a uh, dual throttle bodies on the five liter option and get this, the new dark horse edition. Ooh, spooky dark horse. Yeah. Um, but there's going to be the Dark Horse S and the Dark Horse R. The R, by far, is going to be the coolest one because it's a competition race car. It has extra seam welds on the whole unibody for stiffness, a fuel cell, all sorts of stuff. And as a result, it probably is not going to be sold as a road car. So the Dark Horse S, that's the streetcar version, uh, which is still cool because they say that this is going to be one of the coolest Mustangs they have built, which they always say every time they build a new Mustang. But here, let me um, let me play a clip here for you um, from the head of Mustang engineering. His name is Ed Krenz, and uh, he, he puts it pretty well what this car has. Uh, it starts with the most powerful Coyote ever, targeting 500 horsepower. 500 horsepower! That is mated with a tried and true manual transmission from Tremec that's evolved from our GT350 and Mach 1, and we have some fans. <laughs> at least, I, I heard at least two fans in the audience clapping, if not more, and I may have been one of them. <laughs> no, I, I'm not cool enough to get invited to Ford events. But uh, what's interesting here, so 500 horsepower uh, out of a 5-liter engine, and it's naturally aspirated. This Dark Horse Edition is naturally aspirated, and it replaces essentially the Mach 1 Edition that is currently being sold right now, which makes 470 horsepower. But why 500 horsepower is fairly significant when you think about it is that's 100 horsepower per liter, which is actually, that's pretty darn good. I mean, going back to, say, for example... The, you know, a, a certain car that comes to mind when you're talking about muscle cars and V8s and, you know, big things. Yeah, the, the Honda S2000. So, no, what but here's why I'm saying that. The Honda S2000 when it came out, and I'm not just saying this because I own one. Yeah, listeners are like, just, yeah, shut up about it already. We know, we know. But what what's neat about it was that it made um, 
120 horsepower per liter is a two liter engine making 240 to the crank horsepower. Real S2000 owners will tell you that's really like 180 to the wheel at altitude. Yeah, anyway. But uh, yeah, no one ever said they were fast. But that said, um, that's why this is significant, right? This is 100 horsepower per liter out of a naturally aspirated engine, not going the route of boost or anything like that, which is cool. And you get those sounds of a naturally aspirated V8. That's one thing that the Mustang delivers, the sound. I don't know if you can buy a factory V8 car right now that sounds as good as that Mustang does. Just, I mean, everything lately has been muffled by uh, turbochargers, which, yes, make more power, and more power is more cool. But just the sound, I mean, gosh, I mean, a, a roaring V8, the 5-liter Coyote engine in the Mustang is a dual-overhead cam, all-aluminum engine, uh, and, and they're very cool. I think the Coyote is is a pretty decent engine. I do like it. They they also uh, are pretty responsive to tuning and modification and things like that, which is great. But on top of that, gosh, I mean, a five liter and a Mustang, that's just what, that's what, you know, the world wouldn't be the same if you didn't have a five liter in a Mustang. The 5.0, that's what it's known for, right? 302 cubic inches, five liters. I mean, that's just, that that's what muscle cars are about. Now, what's interesting here is... Um, what's interesting is Ford's strategy here, because what I saw was something they I, I saw when this came out too. Um, I, I was watching the live stream of the press conference and all of that. And the crowd didn't really seem that enthusiastic, probably because they're all tech writers. And, and I don't know, I, I, they may not just be muscle. Whoever gets invited to these Ford events, they clearly weren't cheering enough for the fact that Ford is producing a naturally aspirated V8 sports car with a manual transmission. Um, and also, though, when when um, Ed Krenz mentioned the Tremec-sourced manual transmission, that did get some cheers because the previous manual transmission in the S550 Mustang, they have gone through a number of revisions with it. There have been a number of problems. It has, that has been one complaint by owners who definitely uh, use their cars hard, at least, is the uh, transmission. And Tremec makes a great transmission. Tremec makes an excellent transmission. So knowing that Tremec is involved in the transmission development is a good thing. We want that. But what's interesting is that while this was going on, I saw a, a headline from the Wall Street Journal. And the headline re it reads like this. It goes, Ford reveals new Mustang with a gas engine to attract muscle car fans. Like, headline, Ford reveals new Mustang with gas engine. Why is that the headline? Why, is it, why isn't it that Ford reveals new generation Mustang with 500 horsepower or, you know, whatever, any of these features? No, they lock on to the, the writers at the Wall Street Journal said, here's the headline. It, it has a gas engine. Well, really? Really? You know how many cars sold still have a gas engine? Yeah, the new Nissan Altima with a gas engine. Big news, right? <laughs> um, but I, I think that's because a lot of people are were expecting this new Mustang to be an EV. And I'm here to say I'm glad it's not because Ford has its own EV division. They have kind of split their business between gas cars and EVs. It's, it's an internal split really in the company. They have two different divisions now. And that way, I think they can keep it separated enough that they can focus on both enthusiast gas cars and EV cars. Um, the Ford... Must uh, it's hard to say this. It's really hard to say. It's the Ford Mustang Mach E. Ugh, had to get that out. The Mach E is the so-called electric Mustang.
that came out, and, and you're probably familiar with it. It's been out for quite a while now, a little over a year, two years, if, if really. Uh, but it's um, that's an electric crossover. It's four doors. It's a it's like a Tesla Model, uh, you know, like it, it, it. It's like the Tesla Model Y. It's this crossover thing. It's not it's not a sports car, and yet that has a Mustang badge, and everyone complained. Everyone complained. Everyone said, why is this called a Mustang? Because it's Ford and they can call it, well, it's their car and they can call it whatever they want. Yeah, I get that. But when you look at what the buyer expects when they look at a Mustang, and that's not what they expect. And what they expect is a manual transmission, a V8, and classic muscle car proportions. You want two doors, that fastback, long hood. That's what you want, rear wheel drive. And I get that, you know, everyone says, well, yeah, but electric cars are faster. And yeah, I get that. In fact, most muscle car fans get that and don't care because they want the V8, they want the noise, and they want the driver engagement. And this is where Dodge absolutely missed the mark with its its Challenger EV prototype that I talked about uh, a couple weeks back. It absolutely missed the mark because what muscle car owners don't want is an EV that makes noise. Dodge said, okay, so... Muscle car owners want EVs, or they don't, but they want a car that has driver engagement and they want it to make noise. So we're going to make an EV that makes noise, but it's all fake. What's the point of that? And yeah, they say, well, the noise is actually amplified from the electric motor, so it's not fake noise. Well, the fact that you have to amplify it is the same difference as having cars that pipe fake engine sound through the speakers on the inside of the car. And what do car enthusiasts harp about hating all the time is exactly that, that thing. Muscle cars... Um, are bought by people, you know, who don't want something disingenuous. And Ford knows that. And this is why Ford has, in okay, in response to this Wall Street Journal article, you know, being all shocked about, whoa, the new Mustang is has a gas engine? Really? Well, that's because Ford knows the people who buy Mustangs want that. But they also know the people who want to be so-called tech forward and, you know, be on that EV thing, which is totally fine. It's a it's a free market society. You can buy whatever you want. That's fine. Um, they also sell that, though. That's the thing. Ford is catering to both audiences here, who both demographics who want that. And that's where I have uh, you know stood firm in my belief that electric cars are cool. They're fun. They can be very fast. And they can be fun as a byproduct of being fast. I get that. And some of them are really cool in the way they do stuff. I don't hate electric cars. But I hate the notion that we have to get rid of the gas car so that we can have the electric car. Why can't we have both? They're both good. Uh, and, and it makes sense to be diverse in where you use your energy as a society. You don't want to re- heavily rely on any one thing. We don't want to be heavily reliant on only gasoline because of political things that happen with other countries. Uh, evidence with what Russia is doing right now in Ukraine and all the oil and all the, the, the whole supply chain issues around that. The, the ripple effect from that. But also, you don't want to be so heavily reliant on that electric stuff either. You, you want a balance of that. And I think Ford understands that. But what they also understand is that they want millennials to buy their Mustang. And apparently, in their tests and in their screenings, millennials want screens in their car. That's one other thing this Mustang has, okay? So, so going on to a couple other features, and that is the... Uh, massive amount of screens this car has okay so it's got a 12.4 inch screen gauge cluster as it's called but it's not really a cluster because there's no gauges in a cluster it's just it's it's an lcd but then you also have next to that 
a 13.2-inch center screen, and they're connected with a little black bar in the middle. Now, I don't know why those couldn't just be one screen. Now, Mercedes in their screens does just one screen that goes from the gauge cluster area all the way to the center screen, and it's all one big screen. Ford has them split up in two, and that was probably a cost thing. Um, but I am critical of this only because I don't like how screens look in cars. Uh, I don't think they particularly do all that well when it comes to glare and direct sunlight. And also, also, there was, and I talked about this, what, just last week, the week before, there was a, a, a actual scientific study that proved buttons are better. And it proved this by showing the distance one travels trying to complete a certain task with a touchscreen versus another task with buttons that you can feel. And then the whole thing is further enforced by the fact that the buttons, if you're turning up your fan speed, if you're turning up your climate control, um, that you don't even need to look at it. You can keep your eyes on the road and just through muscle memory and feel engage with the car that way. So I, I don't think the screens are that, to me, they don't do it for me. I get that a lot of, I get that I'm in the minority when it comes to millennial car buyers. I, I am in the minority. Um, a lot of them want that. They want that sense of luxury. Screens are considered luxurious at this point in time. I think that may be a little bit of a fad, but at this point in time, the majority of buyers consider those to be luxurious. And that's fine. You know what you want? You want, uh, you want an iPhone for a gauge cluster and an iPad for your climate control. You can do that. You can buy that car. That's fine. Do what you want. But um, what's also cool, another cool feature this car has is the rev button. What is the rev button? The rev button is on your keychain. It's not even a button in the car. There, there, yeah, there's no buttons really in the car. You got this touchscreen, but you do get a button on the key fob, which allows you to at any moment, just you're sitting there, you're talking to your friends, you're, you're in a restaurant and be like, hold on, I need to hear my car. Click, click, and then the car will roar to life and then it'll, <laughs> then it'll shut off. That's super cool. You know what? Like Ford, they are listening to their customers. The customers say, we want V8s, we want manual transmissions. The millennial customers who have a little, who are coming into a little more money now, more stable jobs say, we want touchscreens in our cars. Ford's listening to their customers. What do Mustang owners want to do? Be obnoxious at all points of the day. And they are granting that desire with the rev button. And I honestly think this is amazing. I wish more cars had this. Now, I don't know if it, comes uh, where I don't know for sure and the details aren't clear clear is if it's available in the manual optioned vehicle or the automatic one only because you in the manual one if you parked it say in first gear right and you put the handbrake on and then you put the car in gear a lot of people park that way um then you probably couldn't rev the engine because then the car would just drive through a wall because you're in first gear so maybe either it knows or they probably are only going to limit this to the automatic option but you know what i don't care it's awesome it is great to see that v8 muscle cars are still appreciated by a company as big as ford and ford of course has done this in response to dodge dodge saying we are going the way of e-muscle well buyers don't want that you know and and, and what well, sure i don't have a scientific study at hand right now to show how many buyers, or potential buyers rather, I should clarify, who thought the, the Dodge Challenger EV thing with the weird whiny noise it made was cool. Everyone I talked to, even EV owners, uh, other car enthusiasts at meets and all the places I go, kind of said, it's cool, I like that it's going to be fast, but that noise thing is stupid. It, it, if it doesn't inherently make the noise, just, just leave it out. Fine, just leave it out. Don't do this fake stuff. Again, muscle car buyers don't want things that are disingenuous. That's... That is, I think, a, a standing thing 
that I don't think will change. Now, that said, uh, CEO of Ford, his name's Jim Farley, he said, quote, Investing in another generation of Mustang is a big statement at a time when many of our competitors are exiting the business of internal combustion vehicles, end quote. That's exactly what he's getting at. That's a big stab at Dodge. He's not saying, yeah, we're doing it because Dodge said this. But, you know, that's what he's thinking. I mean, he, Ford and Dodge, I mean, they've been competitors. They've been competitors since the dawn of time, really. I mean, since, since the first... Since the first gelatinous amoeba walked out of the sea and grew legs and stuff, they have been competing. Dodge and Ford have been competing. Um, but I think Dodge is, uh, or not Dodge, rather, Ford. Ford is really listening to what its muscle car buyers want. And it's keeping that alive. And I think that is amazing. Let's do it. I don't care what it takes. We need more V8s. We need more manual transmissions. That's what we want. Dodge said in their press conference, and I even played a clip from this a few weeks ago, that said, well... We know that these are going to get regulated out of existence, so we're getting ahead of the curve. Well, that's not what Ford's doing. Ford is saying, screw that. We are making the V8. We are making the manual transmission, and we're not going to let them take it. We're not just going to roll over and let them take that. So that's good. I like what Ford's doing here. Is Ford the best company in the world? No, no, not by any means. We all know that that's actually American Motors, but, you know, that's neither here nor there. Um, uh, now, where does this translate into what else Ford is working on? Because Ford, I talked about at the top of the show here, that Ford is going to be really changing how they handle dealerships. And let's transition a little away from the Mustang into that, because this is a pretty important topic. And Ford dealers essentially have until October 31st to decide if they want to get EV certified. Okay, so what does that mean? EV certified can mean one of two things for Ford uh, dealerships, okay? So, and this is where it's weird. I'm praising Ford for the Mustang, but now I'm going to question Ford for this decision because it's a little strange, but it's what they're doing, which is that 3,000 dealerships across the country have been asked to invest either one of two options, $500,000 or $1.2 million. They have two different tiers. The $1.2 million tier is the so-called elite tier. And if they do this, they get an elite EV certification, which will allow them to get more EV allocations. Now, what are they actually doing with this money? Well, the uh, $900,000 of this $1.2 million is purely for the upfront cost for charging infrastructure. Ford wants to create charging infrastructure for its electric vehicles at its dealerships. And, um, and I, I can even speak to this where I'm at locally, there is a Ford dealership that recently, uh, recently had an ad campaign about how they were going to start doing chargers at their dealerships and do like a whole lounge and have different companies and restaurants. Basically, you know, they want to get people buying their vehicles, charging the vehicles that Ford made at Ford dealerships where Ford dealerships are also going to sell Ford accessories and Ford food and Ford entertainment, everything all under one roof. They want to capitalize on that. And the dealership locally here has actually been a little ahead of that, but ahead of at least corporate Ford in announcing that. They've already kind of been doing that. Um, but what I think is interesting here is this is a million dollars upfront from the dealership to pay for this charging infrastructure. And they're basically telling the dealers, if you don't pay for this charging infrastructure, you won't get allocations and you won't make sales. So that's a big problem, right? Well, maybe not, because uh, Ford also is mandating that dealers who maintain 
a EV certified status um, basically limit themselves to uh, reducing their profits by $2,000 on each vehicle. So their overhead, the money they are making, which sometimes on new cars, they may only be making two to $3,000 profit on new cars. And Ford is asking them to reduce their overhead on each car by $2,000 and not charge that to the customer as profit, uh, which is partially to curb dealers from doing insane markups. That is partially from that. But also, it seems weird to me that if I'm a Ford dealer and Ford tells me corporate Ford, I'm a, you know, say I'm a Ford dealer and I, you know, privately own my Ford dealer as many of them are. And Ford says, all right, you got to fork up 1.2 million or you're not going to get allocations. If you fork up 500,000, you'll get some allocations. Um, but if you do this, you need to fork up this money to build all this infrastructure to support our cars. And then you have to basically reduce your profit margin on your car. You have to invest this money and then you're not going to make that back because you are now reducing perhaps any any profit that you had on certain models. Uh, and so that to me seems very odd. It seems like a very weird decision. But I think all of the Ford dealers are probably going to fall in line with this because they don't also want to get on the bad side of corporate Ford. Again, you know, I've I talked about this in last week's show uh, in terms of Nissan and Nissan's dealership relationship that dealerships are privately owned. They represent the brand. Yes, but they are privately owned. Um, for the majority of things. And, and that is that way in a lot of states here in the U.S., also out of regulation. Um, the whole notion of Tesla doing a direct distribution to its customers for vehicles, you buy a Tesla online and then you go to a Tesla pickup center and the actual Tesla you know, dealership, not really a dealership, but the pickup center is owned by Tesla and everything's owned by Tesla. That's an entirely different model. And I think Ford sees the need to compete with that. I think they see the need to compete with that. But what I find weird is that Ford is going to invest $11.4 billion, billion with a capital B for EV production, and they want the dealerships to fork over the money to build this infrastructure. If you want to build a top-down distribution method like Tesla has, and then you ask the dealerships on the bottom to then pay for it, that's really weird to me. If I'm the dealer, where do I make money in that? Where do I? So what I'm getting at here is that this may be something a lot of dealers do, but I think this is perhaps a nail in the coffin for the dealers as a whole, unless they find other ways to make money. But Ford is, I think, slowly but surely just cutting off its dealer network. I think Ford wants to move to a model where they own the dealerships. And if you're a Ford dealer, you fork up this money, you pay this, you get your profits, and then, hey, Ford comes along and offers you a, maybe a buyout. Hey, we're buying up dealerships. We've, we've lobbied and done our best to change laws in certain states where we can't own the dealerships, because that is a thing. In some states, you cannot own, as the manufacturer, you can't own the dealership. And that's, those are laws that have been around for a long time because of dealerships lobbying uh, lawmakers to make that a thing, to prevent this very thing from happening. Um, but it, I, I see this as a potential step and I'm purely hypothesizing here, but this is a potential step towards deal afford making dealers pay for all the infrastructure and then come along and say, Hey, we're going to buy you out. And if you don't buy, and, and if you don't agree to our, our buyout agreement, we're just not going to give you any more allocations of the cool stuff and you'll lose even more money. So take our offer of X amount of dollars or lose it all because we're not going to give you any more cool cars to sell. That's where I see this is a potential thing. Yeah, it's a 
it is a hypothesis. It's it is based on pure a lot of this stuff, which is fairly circumstantial. But I could see them doing that. I could definitely see them doing that. Now, uh, Jim Farley, Ford CEO again, he says, quote, we're betting on the dealers. We're not going to go direct, but we need to specialize. He goes on to say, the main message I have for dealers, which I've never said before because I didn't want to believe it is true, is that you can be uh, the most valuable franchise in our industry, uh, end quote. And he said that to um, a report, reporter from uh, CNBC. Um, and again, so he says we're not going direct. Well, he says we're not going direct, but I don't think that, well, that doesn't mean they're going direct now, but maybe they're going to go direct in the future. Maybe they're going to change their plan. What this does do is it gives Ford the, abil the ability to be flexible in what they want to do. I think it does, even in the short term, if they truly don't go direct, if they don't go with the nuclear option of then buying out their dealers and truly going direct, this still gives them a little more mobility in terms of competing with Tesla. And is any of this going to matter when you buy your, uh, your new Mustang? Probably not. Uh, from the customer perspective of things here, I don't think there's going to be any long-term changes. Uh, but I do think that if Ford is doing this, um, Ford oftentimes sets the precedent for other manufacturers. Ford, Dodge, General Motors all kind of swing a lot of weight. And if they go a certain way with their business model, good chances are the other two might follow along in this endless need to compete with each other. That might be that 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 might be what happens. That that could be. So we will uh, we will have to see. So yeah, everyone's talking about the new Mustang, and no one's talking about how Ford is maybe maybe killing off its dealers at the very least, requiring that dealers pay for this infrastructure that Ford wants to install. Again, that's so weird to me. Ford says, "Hey, we want to put this in, but you're paying for it. You're gonna pay for it, but we're gonna make money from it." How does that work? I don't know. I don't know. So it will be curious to see what Ford does with that. So, yeah, all in the name of probably competing with Tesla. So go figure on uh, <laughs> go figure on that one. I don't know what to tell you beyond that. It is interesting, though. We'll see what happens. Now, I want to talk about some other stuff that really matters. If you are a car enthusiast, you got to know about the RPM Act. What is it? Why should you care? I'm going to talk about that next. Did you know there's a rare but serious condition affecting one out of every million? Most are born with it, and despite decades of research, doctors struggle to find a cure. The truth is, thousands of people simply don't know what cars are. For those affected, things are grim, but recent developments show promising success. New clinical trials using breakthrough audio technology have shown a 69% improvement in patients with the most severe symptoms. Treatments vary, but one day we may see a cure. More information is available at ThrottleWarrior.com. Right, those car sounds courtesy of Jimmy Ford. You heard him earlier at the top of the show, and uh, that is his 1977 Pontiac, and it is uh, it is quite the car. It is standing next to that. There there is not a microphone in the world that does justice to what that car sounds when it's flying by you at you know like like six feet from you, maybe ten feet. I was maybe ten feet from that on the road as he was launching in the dirt. That was incredible. Very 
Very cool stuff there. And, of course, again, want to thank Jimmy Ford uh, for being so awesome with that, being a supporter of the show, and uh, also inviting me out to the event with the Pikes, or rather the uh, Colorado Hill Climb Association. They put on some great events here, and uh, I know a good chunk of my listeners are here in Colorado. I know most of my listeners on the radio show, too, are here in Colorado, and that's uh, that's an event that you definitely Anything those guys put on is going to be fun. You definitely got to check that out. Uh, and of course, for my listeners outside of the state here, well, you just got to find something like that where you live because it's that cool. Hill climb racing is a big win. And even where there aren't hills, how about rally cross? It's close enough. It's a lot of fun. Very cool stuff there. By the way, if you also want to send your car sounds into the show, I can only encourage you to do that. It's a lot of fun. Facebook.com slash automotive ADHD. Or Matt at ThrottleWarrior.com. Email those. Put them on the Facebook. Do whatever. Send them in. If you have to send them on a flash drive taped to some uh, Fortunato 500 coilovers for a uh, Honda S2000, then uh, uh, please do that. If that's your only way to send those car sounds in, um, I can't stop you, and I can only encourage you to do that. So um, anyway, uh, <laughs> there you go. There you go. Now, I briefly want to talk about uh, some context here on a recent uh, a recent story that provides, I would say, context for what the RPM Act is supposed to prevent. And I'm going to kind of be careful around this because this has been a topic fraught with controversy, with politics, with a lot of things that we don't necessarily want uh, on the car show. But essentially what, what happened is there's a gentleman in New Jersey uh, that has come under fire from the New Jersey Department of Environmental Protection. His name is Mike Siebold, and he owned a 2008 Dodge Ram 2500 in which he de deleted the emissions equipment. And the state came down on him because he put up a listing uh, online uh, that he was selling his truck. And he said, you know, emission system deleted. Well, apparently the state of New Jersey, their Department of Environmental Protection, you know, patrols, online classifieds, Facebook Marketplace and Craigslist and stuff, looking for that. I guess they have nothing better to do because he did that and then received a letter in the mail that was a notice of a violation saying that if he did not return his truck to stock, that the state would come after him and would force him to either fix it or scrap it. And uh, what he ended up doing, and I, I think this is a tragedy, but he did it to make a statement, is he scrapped it. He took the he took all the expensive aftermarket parts off of his truck, and then took it to the scrapper, and uh, and and recorded it being being crushed, which is tragic. Um, and why this happens is is frustrating. Uh, and the issue here is a lot of people, and a lot of people commenting on this uh, in the so-called enthusiast community were grateful. They said, "Good, glad one of those bro dozing coal rolling ram." trucks was taken off of the road um and i don't think that's the position we should generally have as enthusiasts because you may say you know to the to the tens of thousands of facebook comments this guy got on his original post that were supporting the state from so-called car enthusiasts but who supported the state in crushing his truck that is not we need to support each other as car enthusiasts because you might not have a coal rolling Dodge Ram. And I, I get a lot of people don't like the coal rolling. I'm not a particularly a huge fan of it. I really am not. And, but that doesn't mean 
that I hate the owners. That doesn't mean that I wish ill will upon the owners. And that doesn't mean that I wish the state would take their vehicles from them. Not at all. I don't particularly enjoy driving around and getting blasted with coal. When I, when I used to ride a motorcycle a lot, for whatever reason, the coal rolling guys would like target me. I don't know why they would go right now and then just blast me with the, with the, uh, the exhaust coal rolling, by the way, if you're unfamiliar is where a diesel truck, uh, they deliberately adjust the tune on the truck to inject more fuel, and then that fuel comes out of the exhaust as big, big, thick, black smoke. Uh, now, is that really damaging to the environment? A lot of people say that that stuff is diesel particulate, and it actually just is heavier than the air, and it goes down onto the ground. It's not airborne. I am not an environmental scientist. I'll refrain from commenting on that. But um, here's the issue, is what happened with uh, Mr. Seabold and his pickup truck is he told the state, no, I am not going to fix it, and I'm not initially. This is initially what happened, and this has been a couple months long of a debate, and it finally came to, I would think, a unfortunate resolution. But um, he told them, no, I'm not going to do it, because they said in their initial communication to him that he either had to fix it or scrap it or turn in his license plates and no longer be allowed to register that vehicle for road use. And he took that option. He said, I don't want to fix it because putting the emissions equipment, the original emissions equipment back on the vehicle would cost over $10,000. So he said, it's not worth it to me to do that. I'll just hand in my plates and this will be an off-road only truck that he then competed in some tractor pull events with diesel tractor pull stuff, which that is in the realm of motorsports. And so he competed in that, did a couple events with that the truck is no longer on the road. It's being trailered to the events. It's only running in off-road competition, which is the tractor pull. And then he gets another communication from the Department of Environmental Protection saying that that is not good enough and that he uh, has to either fix it or scrap it now. Their initial communication said that that was fine to just use it for off-road stuff, but now they're telling him he can't do that either. And that is where I would draw the... Uh, line of right and wrong here because yes the state law says that he can't operate a vehicle that doesn't meet a certain emissions requirement on the road that's fair all right so he modified it illegally for the road use and they told him you can't do that on the road anymore hand in your registration or fix it so he handed in the registration and that should have been the end of it because what happens and i think a lot of the commenters and i'm not going to quote any commenters directly because a lot of it was just vitriolic and and hateful um but a lot of them seem to be of the opinion that yeah he got what he deserved but the fact is he complied initially and by then using it for off-road use that truck is a piece of private property owned by an individual being operated on private property for the purpose of motorsports and the New Jersey Department of Environmental Protection then said, no, you can't do that, which that goes against, I think, anyone who would support the notion of even owning private property. If you can't use your private property on someone else's private property for, say, motorsports or whatever, then what can you do with it? Right. That's that's where the biggest issue to me comes. I agree up to a point and I'll be very clear on that. I agree up to a point. The state was right in enforcing their rules up to the point of requiring him to deregister the vehicle and not use it on the road. That should have ended there because that is where the state's jurisdiction over that vehicle ends. They can't tell you what you can and can't do with it on your private property, especially at, you know, in in certain cities, yes, you have ordinances, you can't say park derelict cars in your in your yard and you know, you can't do things like that because of certain city laws. But outside of that, at sanctioned events, 
at, at, a, at you know private property at a racetrack at a tractor pull event at an area a sanctioned event that is people and spectators and stuff like that for the state to then come in and say you can't use your vehicle there that's on private property your vehicle's private property but you can't do that they have no jurisdiction over that they just they just don't and that's that's one of those things i think that's where they cross the line now what's unfortunate is that legally fighting this as well was something that he didn't want to do because that would have also cost probably as just as much if not more than just returning the truck to stock so he decided to to you know take all the expensive parts he had on the truck off of it and then have it scrapped as as a statement which i i still think that is an unfortunate outcome that the, that it came to that you know i i am wishing that perhaps we got to this sooner and the motorsports enthusiast community or or people in his local tractor pull group didn't come together and do a GoFundMe or something to fund his legal expenses so he could keep this truck. And yeah, you say, well, it's just the truck. It's his truck. Now, he did exercise his final right to his private property, which was to dispose of it as he pleases. So he did that. He did that. He didn't let the state tell him that he couldn't do that. Right. So that's he did that at least. But I think, you know, the enthusiast community, at least around him, could have you know, and maybe he asked that they didn't do this. I don't know the details, but I think it would have been important for people to, you know, come together and say, you really can't come after our motorsports this way. Because once he deregistered it and only participated in tractor pulls with it, that then became the realm of motorsports, in my opinion. And that should be protected. Here's where I get into the next thing. Under the RPM Act. The RPM Act um, was uh, definitely was sponsor is sponsored by SEMA, by the way. Um, which uh, is not just the car show, but that stands for Specialty Equipment um, Market Association. And uh, what they did is this bill is going, it has been proposed at least, and it's actually been debated, and it was uh, on the floor uh, just um, recently of the Congress, just uh, as early as the uh, 7th of this month, uh, it was discussed on the floor. And what it is, RPM Act stands for Recognizing the Protection of Motorsports. And it was initially drafted in 2021, so it's the 2021 RPM Act, and what it does basically is limit the authority of the EPA. Now, in the case of uh, this diesel truck, that was the New Jersey Department of Environmental Protections. The EPA does that same thing federally, at least, and, and has authority over how they do stuff over all of the states. Well, what this does is it limits that authority um, to of the EPA for not being able to regulate emissions on vehicles that are used off road. And, and what I'll do is I'll go ahead and post a link to this on the Facebook page, facebook.com slash automotive ADHD. But basically, and it says, and I'm reading from the, the front page here of the RPM act. Um, it is just kind of the, just the breakdown the, of the, of the page from it here, but it basically says street vehicles, cars, trucks, and motorcycles, can't be converted into race cars, according to the EPA. And the EPA has announced that enforcement against high-performance parts, including superchargers, tuners, and exhaust systems, is a top priority. And again, this is just from kind of the cliff notes of the act here. Um, but basically, that's what the e that's the EPA stance, is that they're targeting motorsports with this. And they're saying that you uh, what they're saying is that you can't take a car that was initially intended for street use and modify it for racetrack use only um they're saying you can't do that anymore they want to the EPA wants to ban that and same thing goes for trucks and motorcycles and they say if you want a race car it has to be a purpose built race car and it can't be anything else if it ever was intended for the street you legally cannot modify it 
And again, that also delves into a debate about private property, because if you're not using it on the street and you have right to private property as, as a citizen, um, and uh, though I would I would need a lawyer to really disseminate the ins and outs of the Fourth and Fifth Amendment of the United States Constitution, which really go into that. I'm, I'm, and again, this is a car show. This is a car show. But this is important because the EPA Act wants to restrict you from doing, or not the EPA Act, the EPA, rather, wants to restrict you from doing that. And the RPM Act, is its purpose is to limit the EPA's authority. What it does not do is limit their authority for streetcars. If the car is operated on the street, then the EPA, as well as the states that govern those areas and those roads, are within their authority to um, regulate the emissions use of it. But by making something a race car only, not street legal, not on the road in any way, shape, or form, this bill is going to prevent the EPA from also regulating that. And when you look at how big motorsports is, I love motorsports. That's what I love to do. You got all these different people who love motorsports, who love cars, not just car enthusiasts. I mean, the motorsports industry is massive. It's a $2 billion market annually just here in the United States. That's insane. And much of that, in fact, I would argue a majority of that is vehicles that started out for street use that grassroots motorsports enthusiasts have converted to track use. The percentage of, say, top fuel dragsters, which are custom-built chassis and totally you know, built just for racing, racing compared to all of the racing that happens, happens in the entire country that's people like you and me with cars that we, you know, bought and stripped out and then took to the track. Um, so anyway, what you can do about this, why this is important, I don't mean to monologue at you too long on this here, is the RPM Act here would effectively limit what happened to the owner of this truck. He was in violation of his state's emissions laws. And he removed all the stuff and said he didn't want to put it back on, but that he would only use it for competition and he would hand in his registration. And he willfully, willingly complied with that and did that only to be told, never mind, we're just, no, you can't do it at all. We're going to just limit you from doing any of that. And now, granted, that was the state's Department of Environmental Protections. But if the, look at it this way, if the EPA, which is the federal body that regulates this in all states, if they don't have the authority to do this, I would argue, and the courts would probably argue, that the smaller body underneath that, a state environmental protection agency, could also not, would also not be allowed to do this. Now, granted, that may have to be done on a state-to-state -state basis, but regardless, uh, the RPM Act is super important, and uh, we need to get it passed. And that is, that is as political as this show is going to get on that topic. And, um, and again, you, you may not like politics, but if you like cars, you got to know about that. And, um, now a lot of my other listeners are in Europe and in other countries, and I always, always appreciate you listening from other countries. And this may not matter to you because I'm talking about American politics. Oh, well, uh, but the important thing too, is if something like this doesn't exist in your country, maybe be the start of something like this existing in your country. Um, I think we should be. Uh, I, I think we should be allowed to participate in motorsports anywhere in the world, and that would create more industry, more enthusiasts, more stuff like that. And the percentage of motorsports, if you're using an environmental argument saying that, well, it's for the environment, the percentage of motorsports actually happening is so insignificant compared to, you know, the 290 million cars on the road versus the however many million um, cars on the track. It's it, the difference is so insignificant and small.
Uh, so yeah, that's what I that's what I think about that. Anyway, check out the RPM Act. Um, this is something that I think you know. It, there's as a car enthusiast, you got to at least know about it. If you don't want to be involved with it, at least you got to know about it and know why it's a problem, but also why the RPM Act is here to stop that. So anyway, there you go. That has been, that, that is, this has been a heavy show. You know that? This is, I've talked about industry. I've talked about Ford, a little bit about the Mustang. I like that new Mustang. It does look like a lot of fun. Uh, the touchscreens are a little much, but you know what? It's fun. I'm just happy to see a V8, and uh, that is all good stuff. Now, hey, also remember that you can rate this show. Check it out. Spotify lets you add ratings. Yeah, blow it up. Make it. Make them add a six star just for this show. And uh, you can also, you know, subscribe to the show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever fine shows are published. And also, hey, this one. So there you go. Now, hey, I'll see you same time, same place, right here next week. When, um, yeah, we'll probably talk more about cars. That's probably the plan. Let's go with that. <laughs>